Our reading this morning, on which Tim will be preaching, preaching is uh, taken from Romans. We're looking at chapter 8, starting at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This time last week, Sue and I, with Rob and Lim and Louise, were leaders at Soul Survivor, a Christian festival for young people which was held at the East of England showground. It was great to see thousands of young people worshipping together, and the 13 we took with us from Brighton Road all, I think, had a great time, finding the week both enjoyable and spiritually worthwhile. Thank you for your prayers. This year, as there is pretty much every year, there was a talk aimed at young people about sex, uh, which is always a big issue for teenagers, even though thankfully this generation of teenagers seem to show a lot more common sense and restraint in this area than we've seen for quite a few decades. And that's something to thank God for, even if it is only because they are spending too much time glued to their phones to be bothered about anything else. A day or so after this talk, I spoke to our group of young people about how we can see ourselves as being made up of body, mind and spirit. There is more to us than just our bodies, how we relate to each other physically, how we judge each other on the basis of what we look like. There's also more to us than our minds, our capacity to rationalise and think things through. And for young people, it's easy for them to assess their value on the basis of the exam results that some of them received this summer. Beyond body and mind, there is also a spiritual dimension to our lives. This is the bit of us, if you like, which relates to God. And God does not judge us on the basis of our looks or on the basis of our academic achievement. And if we put this part of our lives first... The knowledge that God accepts us enables us to hold our heads high. And the confidence that comes from that knowledge helps us avoid making some of the mistakes that we can follow if we put all the emphasis on our bodies or on our minds. If we look at our spirit as the bit of us that relates to God, then our minds are the bit of us on how we relate to ourselves, what we think of ourselves as people. And our bodies 
how we relate to the rest of the world in terms of our identity. We are embodied beings living in a physical world. Sometimes as Christians, we can make the mistake of thinking that God's really only interested in our spirits or our souls, and we conceive of salvation as leaving these bodies and this world behind when we go to heaven. But that's not actually the case at all. When God redeems us, he redeems us as whole people, body, mind, and spirit. So here and now, if you've given your life to Christ, your spirit belongs to God. Here and now, God is constantly in the process of renewing our minds by his Holy Spirit. That's an ongoing process. And in Romans 8, Paul says that we can look forward to the ultimate redemption of these bodies. We won't be redeemed from these bodies. These bodies themselves will be redeemed, renewed, transformed, liberated from futility, corruption and decay, and made glorious. And Paul says that the whole of creation is eagerly anticipating and longing and looking forward to that day when the final redemption takes place. Because when our bodies are redeemed and restored, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, from the way in which it's wrapped up in dissolution and destruction. And the whole of creation will share in the freedom of the glory of the children of God that is ours. Our final redemption from futility and death doesn't mean being lifted up to heaven to leave this world going to hell in a handcart. Our redemption means the redemption of this world as well. There is a cosmic scope to salvation which is far greater and more glorious than just my soul going to heaven when I die. So as embodied beings, our lives are tied to this world in which we live, both in terms of destruction and redemption. Climate change is forcibly bringing home to us just how inextricably entwined our lives are with the well-being of this entire planet. We live in a symbiotic relationship with our world. If we exploit and abuse the world, creation suffers, and if creation suffers, then we find ourselves in trouble as a result. So in Isaiah 24, we read, The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The exalted of the earth languish. The earth is defiled by its people. They've disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. And Hosea makes a similar point at the start of chapter 4. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land mourns and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. How we live has a knock-on effect on the rest of creation. And that's because we are embodied beings in a physical world. Our well-being is tied up with the well-being of this planet. And if we start to fall apart morally, 
then creation finds itself in trouble as well. In our fallenness, in our sinfulness, we have degraded and exploited and abused each other, and we have degraded and exploited and abused our planet as well. And those scientists who haven't sold their souls to the big corporations are warning us that we are on the verge of doing irrevocable damage to the world in which we live. So much of the mess that we see in the world these days is of our own making. So Paul vividly describes the whole world lamenting and groaning in agony. Yet it's not a lamenting or groaning of despair because there's hope for creation. In verse 19, Paul talks about the creation waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. There is turmoil, there is anguish, there is trouble, but there's also longing for the coming of a new order. That's why the NIV translators have opted to draw out the meaning of Paul's words to show that the language he uses about agony and groaning also has connotations of the pains of childbirth. So at the moment, there is agony, but new life is coming when we are finally adopted as God's children and our bodies are redeemed. This is the hope in which we're saved, says Paul. And what is the basis for this hope which runs counter to our natural inclination to be anxious about the future? Behind this hope lies the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When his mortal body, tortured to death on a cross, was raised from the grave, still bearing the marks of the nails and the spear, but decisively raised from death to life, that showed death and destruction and pain and evil do not have the last word. But God has begun a work of redemption for this world by raising his son from the dead. And we know that because Christ lives, we shall live also. Here and now, our lives belong to God. And his Holy Spirit witnesses to our spirit that right here and now, we are God's beloved children. That's why we worship him. At the same time as we live out our lives in a fallen world, his spirit renews our minds and enables us to live our lives God's way. The risen Lord has sent his spirit into our hearts and his work of renewal takes place right here. Renewing our lives from the inside out. It's not just God raising his son from the dead, it's God renewing us at the centre and core of our being. So outwardly, says Paul in 2 Corinthians, as we very well know, we may be wasting away. But inwardly, in here, we are being renewed day by day. These physical bodies are still mortal, and we experience the aging process, weakness, disease, injury, and ultimately death. Lots of you say to me from time to time, there's very little to celebrate in getting old. We know, however much we're renewed in here, that our bodies have not been renewed. Though occasionally God releases his renewing, healing power into our bodies when we pray. But we know that the final redemption of our bodies lies in the future. And Paul describes that as something to which we can look forward. We eagerly await our final adoption as God's children. 
and the ultimate redemption of these bodies from futility, decay, and destruction. But in these bodies, as we live out our daily lives, God has placed his spirit. And the spirit of Christ is the first fruits of God's redeeming work in our lives. First fruits was almost a technical term for the first bit of the harvest that was consecrated and dedicated to God as an offering. So if the Spirit is first fruits, that means our lives are consecrated and dedicated to God. We are holy. And it's in our consecration and dedication to God through His Spirit that there's hope for the rest of creation. Because as we belong to God and we are renewed by God, that is the first fruits that will be extended to the whole of creation in the fullness of time. So cast your minds back to the beginning of the sermon when I talked about the way in which we are body, mind and spirit. The spirit is the bit of us that relates to God. And God's spirit witnesses with our spirit here and now that we are God's children. Our mind is the bit of us that relates to ourselves because our identity is bound up with what we think of ourselves. And God's spirit is at work in our minds to renew us so that we can see ourselves as God sees us, as his beloved children. And live our lives in this world accordingly. And our bodies, our bodies are the means by which we relate to this world to which we belong. God's purpose is to redeem these bodies from death and destruction, just as he raised the dead body of his son from the grave. It was never God's intention that we should live as disembodied spirits in heaven. He's redeemed us as whole people, body, mind and spirit. Everything belongs to him. And body, mind and spirit will all share and participate in the life to come. But as these bodies are part and parcel of the world to which we belong, Paul boldly asserts that when these bodies are redeemed from death and destruction, the whole created order, everything, will also be liberated from its bondage to to decay and will come to share in the glorious freedom of God's children. The freedom we know now that we experience sometimes in worship, that the glory of God that we encounter will one day be extended to encompass the whole created order. And creation longs for and looks forward to that day instinctively. And we can long for and look forward to that day as well. It's a massive claim to make that God will renew our world, but it's based on the miracle of God raising the dead body of his son from the tomb and sending his spirit to make our hearts and minds new on the inside. God's ultimate plan and intention is to redeem this world that he so lovingly created from its bondage to futility and decay. In terms of the enormity of that task, we can see he's hardly started yet, but he's made a start. He made a start when he raised Jesus from the grave. The next step was sending his spirit into our hearts, renewing us from the inside out. And having started, like Magnus Magnuson, he will finish the job. The day will come in God's purpose when all of creation will be liberated from futility and death and rejoice in God's new life. All creation longs for that day. And God's spirit in our hearts also yearns for that day when all things will be made new. 
if the renewing of God, the creation is in God's heart and part of his ultimate plan, as God's people, as people who've been redeemed by this God ourselves, as people who have experienced the renewing power of his spirit in our hearts, as people who love and worship God, it's appropriate for us, actually, to be people who align ourselves with God's saving and renewing purposes by committing ourselves to seeking the well-being of this beautiful, marvellous planet which he created. As embodied people living in a physical world, the spirit within us yearns to bring life, to bring freedom, to bring beauty, to bring glory into God's world. Look after your body. It belongs to God. Look after this world. It belongs to God. The degradation and abuse of our own bodies, of other people, or of this planet have no place in God's purposes for us. The work of God's Spirit is to bring life instead of death, freedom instead of bondage, hope instead of despair, cleansing instead of pollution, renewing instead of destruction, connectedness rather than isolation. And our worship is not just the songs that we sing and the prayers that we say when we come together in this place. Part of our worship is offering this world back to God. Lord, enable us to play our part with your spirit in making this world a better place. Enable us to play our part in your redeeming, renewing work that will one day be completed when all of creation comes to share in the freedom and glory which we have now right here. Allow what God is doing in your heart to spread to the rest of the world. It's God's world. You are God's people, indwelt by God's life-giving spirit. Let's commit ourselves to living in God's world, God's way, for his glory.